Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Neighborhood Church. This message was given by Larry Vold. All right, let's find our sermon outline in our bulletin there. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Leviticus, please. Leviticus chapter 8. As you're turning there, that's on page 164 in that book rack Bible, third book of the Old Testament. It's the cleanest pages in your Bible. My question to you is, did you do your homework this week? Leviticus 8, 9, and 10. It will help you understand, if you did your homework, where we're going in the message this morning. We've been learning about the way of holiness, and we've seen so far that we need to focus on God, we need to admit our need, and today we come to a section in Leviticus that I believe gives us a window into the specific components of worship wherever God's people meet and whenever they gather. In this context of Leviticus, God is preparing his people to observe a practice and practice a system of worship in which he is to be praised and honored, resulting in the people's forgiveness and fellowship. All this was central to those living under the old covenant. Now keep in mind that that the the system of worship that we're talking about here in Leviticus 8 through 10 uh, includes the three following things. This is just a little bit of a, of a review. It, it includes the bringing of sacrifices. And if you missed last week, you need to go and listen to that message. We learned about the five offerings that the people were to bring and present to the priests. We learned about the burnt offering, the grain offering, the fellowship offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering, right? And what those offerings meant. And then we come to chapter 8, and we learned that there's a priesthood. So the people were to bring their offerings... There needed to be priests that would meet the people at the altar so that they could express their worship, so that they could find forgiveness and atonement for their sins, so that they could find fellowship with one another and wholeness in their relationship with God. And as a result of all of that, there needed to be a place to come. Now we know that the place for the Old Testament saints was first this tabernacle and then later that would become the temple under Solomon's reign. But so the the three components of worship were these, sacrifices, the priests, and the tabernacle. Now if you have that in your mind, then you have a little understanding as to what the context of Leviticus 8 through 10 is all about. Now, under the old covenant, God had a priesthood, and there were sacrifices to be brought, and there was a tabernacle. But under the new covenant, here's the interesting thing, and you know this, we, I hope you know this, that under the new covenant, of which we are a part through Jesus Christ... Uh, there's no longer a priesthood of, of individuals that are sort of the clergy. Now, under the new covenant, we are all members of one priesthood. We are a priesthood of believers, each one using our spiritual gifts and, to, and uh, caring for the ministry, finding through those sacrificial gifts of service that the Lord has empowered us to to do in his will and in his work, uh, we carry out the ministry. Under the old covenant, there was a high priest. His name was Aaron. Under the new covenant, there's one great high priest, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Under the old covenant, there was the central meeting place of the tabernacle, which eventually became the temple. Under the new covenant, our bodies become the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says that, Do you not know that your bodies are a temple are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So his presence is always with us. So it's important to keep that in mind as we dive into this section of scripture here this morning. So there's a lot to learn this morning about worship. And I don't know what you think about when you come to a worship service. I don't know what's on your mind. 
Uh, I don't know what you're thinking about when you're looking for a church. Chances are if you found neighborhood and you're a, a believer in Jesus Christ, one of the five or hopefully all of the five components of worship that we're going to extract from our text this morning, you have seen and recognized and that's why you feel committed or attracted to the ministry of neighborhood church. Every once in a while, people will say, hey, I'm moving out of the area. I'm going out this direction, that direction. Can you recommend a church? And sometimes I can because I know lots of churches in, in places around the country, but I don't always know where there are churches that people can connect with. And if you're perhaps in the, in the near future going to be moving away or relocating somewhere, can I suggest to you this morning that the five components of worship that we're going to find in our text today are amazingly great focus points for what to look for when you're looking for a church where you're going to find a connection place in following the Lord. So there's a lot about worship in this passage, and that's where we're going to find a picture of holiness, holiness in the presence of God and among his people. Now, we talk a lot about worship here at Neighborhood Church. We say that worship is a part of our process. It starts with worship. That's where God transforms us. But worship has specific components, and that's what we're going to look at today. And what I'd like to package this sermon in this morning are what I'm calling five values of what true worship is all about. In other words, if you're going to come with an intentional spirit to worship the King of glory, then these five things are circulating in your heart and mind. Maybe you haven't ever articulated them before, but I hope that after today, you'll be able to put a handle on these simple things that we find here in the text. Five values of what worship is all about. So if you're taking notes, here's the first value, and I'm going to give it to you, and then we'll start getting into the text. The value that I find in this text, uh, uh, Leviticus 8, 9, and 10, is the Word of God. Say that with me, the Word of God. Now, as I studied this passage, I found that there were almost 20 references to something along these lines, as the Lord commanded, or commanded by the Lord. This section actually begins, look at verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, And what did he say? Let's just read. He says, verse 2, Bring Aaron and his sons their garments, the anointing oil, the bowl for the sin offering, the two rams, and the basket containing bread made without yeast, and gather the entire assembly at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the assembly gathered at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses said to the assembly, This is what the Lord has commanded To be done. Now we're going to go on from there in just a minute, but I want to point out the fact if you just have your Bibles open and look at that, you'll see down in verse 9 again the phrase as the Lord commanded. You'll see it in verse 13 as the Lord commanded. You'll see it down in verse 17 as the Lord commanded. You'll see it over there in verse 21 as the Lord commanded. It's all through this text verse 29, verse 31, verse 34, verse 36, chapter 9, uh, verse 7. Uh, verse 10. It's all through here. Every place that you come through in this entire section, you find the Lord commanding, the Lord commanding, the Lord commanding. And it struck me that what worship is about fundamentally is a value of listening to and responding to the Word of God. Now, I know that that, you know, it's kind of silent when I say that. And I think most of us kind of get that, but I don't know if that's a real value in all of our hearts. I think it is in many of our hearts, but maybe not in all of our hearts. The reason I'm not sure it's a value in everyone's heart is because when I talk to people, I find out that, number one, they don't have much knowledge of the Scripture. 
I mean, I'm talking about Christians that have been around for a while. They don't, you know, ask very basic questions about things in the scripture. And I think, wait, wait, if you're a Christian and you value the word of God, then you should be devouring this book. You should be reading it more than you read novels, more than you read newspapers, more than you read current events. This is a book that we need to have our eyes in all the time. And that's something that I think a lot of us really don't recognize. We come to church, oh, that's the place where I open the Bible. But actually, what we do as part of our worship is that we teach and preach the Bible. That's a stated value in our ministry, that we value God's Word. We know that the Word of God is the transformative power of God to change lives. We're not trying to manipulate people emotionally. We're not trying to crank people up with the words of men or human wisdom or philosophy. We go right to the Word of God. And that's why Paul told Timothy, in 2 Timothy 4, he said, Preach the Word in season and out of season. Rebu- rebuke, correct. Uh, get the word of God out there. In latter times, Paul goes on to tell Timothy, people will just want to put people in front of them that will give them what their itching ears want to hear. And we live in a culture that doesn't really want God's word. But all scripture is inspired by God, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, 2 Timothy 3 tells us. And that we know that the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart, Hebrews 4.12 tells us. So we know the word of God is really important. And it's a stated value in the worship of God's people. And I just see that right here in this text. I was encouraged this past week. I went over to Vacation Bible School, one of the rallies. There's all those hundreds of kids. And I said this last year, and it kind of spoke to me again, that the first thing they do in their big rally is they go through the VBS rules. And you remember what those rules were? The first rule was bring, or excuse me, be on time. All the kids say it, be on time. And then it's bring your Bible. And then it's bring a friend. And then it's know your memory verse. Those are the four rules of VBS. And I thought, man, that should be the rule of every church. Be on time. Hello, neighborhood. (laughs) Be on time. Bring your Bible. Bring a friend. And know your memory verse. Now, we don't have memory verses that go out every week. I could have said memorize Leviticus 8 through 10 last week. If you were a Hebrew kid, you would have done that Why, by the time you were three years old. How does that make you feel? But this is an amazing thing to me that so many of us kind of look at the Bible as well. That's something that the pastor ought to know, but it's not really something important to me. Listen, I hope if there's anyone here today, you see that the, one of the values of worship in God's house, among God's people, among the Old Covenant, and it's timeless all the way to the New Covenant, is that we value the what? The Word of God. Number two value, we value the people of God. Say that with me, the people of God. Now, this is the biggest section in these three chapters from verse 5 all the way down to chapter 921. And what we see here is that there's a couple of groups of people that are going to be addressed. And the biggest section is addressed to people that uh, are leaders. And so if you're taking notes, one set of people, we talk about valuing the people of God. We talk about godly leaders. Say that with me. Godly leaders. 
And it starts there in verse 5. And by the way, if you have your notes and a little piece of uh, a pen or something to write, mark down Leviticus 21 and 22. That's a section of scripture we won't have time to teach through, but it really correlates to what we find here in chapters 8 and 9. It's the it's the character of the priesthood. It's what the priests ought to be in their private life and in their public life. And we're going to touch on that here this morning, but there's also a supplementary view over in chapters 21 and 22, which when we get there, you'll wonder why I skipped over it, but then you'll remember, oh, Pastor Larry said, this connects with ver- uh, chapters 8 and 9. Now I'd like to walk through what godly leaders are like according to this text. In verses 5 and 6, you see that Moses says, this is what the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons forward and washed them with water. The first thing we learn about about leaders, godly leaders, is that godly leaders are cleansed thoroughly. What the priests are doing here, what Moses is doing with the priests, is he's giving them an initial washing. This is all symptomatic, or, or I shouldn't say symptomatic, this is symbolic of the fact that the priests are to be a cleansed group of people. And that's really important. Talking about washing up is the idea of, this is a picture, a beautiful picture in the Bible of our salvation and our sanctification as leaders. If you're a leader in the church, whether you're a pastor or an elder, if you're a teacher in Sunday school or you're a leader in some area of ministry, maybe you're one of our leads in our hospitality or, in other words, people look to you, they look to you for guidance, they look to you for example. It's important that leaders in the church be cleansed. It means that leaders should be saved and they should be growing in sanctification. This is something that we should look for and expect among leadership. Now, once we are cleansed, that means once we have found salvation through Jesus Christ, notice uh, he goes on from there uh, to wear certain clothes. And and here I write that uh, godly leaders are clothed appropriately. And what the clothing represents in verses 7 through 9, and there's a lot to be said here, uh, there's a sash that is tied around Aaron, uh, then there is a robe placed upon him, and the ephod on top of that. I'll describe some of these pieces of, of wardrobe. Uh, then there's a skillfully woven waistband. It's fastened on him, a breast piece with the urim and the thummim, those interesting, mysterious, what are they? We don't even really know. Some way of determining the will of God, uh, Those were placed in the breast piece. Then a a turban on the head with a gold plate with a sacred diadem, which we read from the book of Exodus that says, Holy unto the Lord. All of this, as Moses said, as the Lord commanded. So what we have here is the clothing of the priests. First we have the cleansing of the priests, their washing, and then we have the clothing of the priests. Now the clothing, and I I could take a lot of time to go through this, you're going to have to trust me on it, although do your own study, find these things for yourself, but let me give what many commentators believe about what these different elements represent. Uh, The undergarment, the, the tunic that the priest would wear closest to his body would represent personal purity. The sash around that tunic uh, represents a servant's heart. The outer robe, uh, this beautiful uh, robe, this blue robe that the priest wore. The righteousness of God, we are clothed in the righteousness of God. The ephod, verse 7, a sleeveless coat bound by a special waistband, suggesting perhaps the authority of God. The breast piece, verse 8, with its 12 precious stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel, demonstrating that the people are always over the heart of the leader. And in terms of the high priest, always over the heart of God. 
And then I mentioned those mysterious Urim and Thummim. What are they? Sacred dice? We really don't know what they were. But that they would, in times of critical decision making, in looking for the will of God, the Urim and Thummim were pulled out. And whatever little action that they did with those things, the Lord used those things to, uh, to help a person or help the priest know what the will of God was. Now, all of that to say that the garb that the priest wore uh, was, was special. It was a way of showing that they had a relationship unto God. They represented the people to God and they represented God to the people. And all of this to me points to the value of godly leaders being an essential component in acceptable worship. You come to worship hoping, praying, and expecting there to be godly leaders. Leaders that are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Leaders that walk in integrity and purity. Leaders that have a a sense of the people over their hearts, not their own whims and own desires. All this is a beautiful transformation that we see in the clothing of the leaders. Thirdly, I point out from this text in verses 10 through 36 of chapter 8 that godly leaders are consecrated completely. And what I mean by consecrated, what we find in this text is there's an anointing with oil, there are offerings of sacrifice brought, and then there's this period of waiting. The priests in their ordination were to wait seven days in the tabernacle. They were to be there eating the sacrifices that the people were to bring There was to be an ordination sacrifice, and they were to stay there for seven days. It wasn't until the eighth day that they would actually begin their public ministry. Now, let me just break this down just a little bit. When I talk about consecration, here's what I believe the Bible is saying. First of all, there's a reliance on the Holy Spirit. There's an anointing with oil. Notice that everything in the tabernacle needs anointing. And Moses anoints the articles in the tabernacle. He anoints... Uh, the articles of, of where the sacrifices were to be brought, and he anoints Aaron and his sons. All of this, verses 10 through 13 and verse 30, is a picture of the reliance on the Holy Spirit. The anointing oil of the Old Testament is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, there's a reliance on God's cleansing. Here the sacrifices that Aaron and his sons bring forth a reminder of a couple things. Number one, they needed their sins to be forgiven too. Godly leaders aren't perfect. Don't put leaders on a pedestal. If you've ever had a leader disappoint you, all you have to do is be reminded that leaders are just like you in the sense that they struggle with sin too. They don't always make the right decisions. Sometimes they make decisions in the flesh. They're not, always, uh, they're not perfect and they're not always right. But notice also that this is a picture when they're bringing their offerings that they were set apart for God's use. And notice that Moses In verse, uh, uh, where is this? Verse um, 23, Moses slaughtered the ram and took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. And then he did that with Aaron's sons too. Remember, Aaron was the high priest, and then his sons were the priests who would carry out the work. And they're also lobes of their right ears, thumbs on their right hands, and on their big toes too. Well, what is that about? That sounds kind of strange to us, doesn't it? I mean, come on, let's face it, that just sounds a little weird. But basically, I think what we have here is that we have a picture of the blood of Christ coming over our lives as leaders, watch this, so that we can hear God's voice, that's the earlobe, so that we can do God's work, that's the thumb on our hands, and so that we can walk in God's ways, that's the toes on our feet. The leaders are to be people that listen to God, 
do his work, and walk in his ways. We would expect that as godly leaders. And when you're looking for a place of worship, you should expect that and look for that among leaders too. Not only is there the picture of the Holy Spirit and a a picture of cleansing, but there's also a reliance on God's timing. And I mentioned a minute ago, they were to be in the place of the tabernacle for seven days during this entire process, and they were to wait until the eighth day to begin their ministry. And it, it speaks to me that ministry has a timing. There's a timing for ministry. There's a waiting as a part of ministry. And I don't know about any of you that might be leaders, and I'm looking around here in the crowd. I see some people that are, in fact, I look over here and I see John. Bless you, John. Graduated from Bible school yesterday. He's a guy in his, I don't know how old you are, John, but you're around my age. Let's say you're like 35, okay? <laughs> and John, in his career, decides to go to Bible school, graduates from Bible school, wants to do ministry, is moving his whole family down south to go to seminary so that he can do ministry at this stage in his life. And I think if anything John is learning is that ministry has a timing. There is a waiting period. And John's felt that. And I've felt that too. We want things to happen right now. Things need to wait. I know that as, pa- as a pastor, there are things I want to see done right now. And God says, oh, not so fast. It's going to take a little while. There are things I'd love to see happen in this ministry that I've prayed for, yearned for, asked God for. Hasn't happened yet. Still looking to God. Still trusting God. And that's what the ministry is about. It's learning to wait on God. There are people that I minister to that I say, God, couldn't you just hit them with a lightning bolt in a loving way? And bring them to see where they need to go in their life. And you know, God says there's a timing involved. It takes time. People don't change overnight. God's working in their lives. If there's one thing you learn in ministry, you learn that ministry takes time. And so these are just some things that I pull out of this text that I hope will be encouraging to you that when you think about the values of worship, you think of first the Word of God and you think about the people of God. And when you think about the people of God, you think first about godly leaders, but you also think about, in chapter 9, verses 1 through 21, you think about active members. Say that with me, active members. So here in chapter 9, if you did your homework, this is where the commencement of public worship starts. It's the eighth day. On the eighth day, Moses summoned Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel, and he said to Aaron, Take a bull calf for your sin offering and a ram for the burnt offering, both without defect, and present them before the Lord. Then say to the Israelites, Take a male goat for a sin offering, a calf and a lamb, both a year old without defect, for a burnt offering. Remember, the burnt offering was a commitment offering. It was, Lord, I'm all in. I'm, I'm completely surrendered. And bring a ram for a fellowship offering. Let's praise the Lord. Let's do this together. Along with the grain offering. Remember, that was a supplemental offering. For today the Lord, and this is an important verse, verse 4, today the Lord will appear to you. This is a, a picture of the crescendo of what happens. Watch this. When there are godly leaders leading and there are active members following. And what God is doing is he's throwing the doors open for worship. And he's saying, now it's time. It's time for my glory to be present. It's time for my presence to be manifest among you. 
And what I see here in this passage is that I'm struck with the fact that as God opens the door, all these people are there and they're beginning to bring their sacrifices. Now watch this. It strikes me that under the new covenant, God still names his people a holy priesthood, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. And as a priesthood to each other, watch this, we are to bear the burdens of our brothers and sisters, we're to bring the sacrifice of praise, we're to bring fruit, uh, the fruit of our lips that confess his name, and we are to be doing good and sharing with others, because Hebrews 13, 15 says, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So under the new covenant, we're still bringing the sacrifices, but this time they're not with animals. They're the sacrifice of good works. They're the sacrifice of blessing others around us. The sacrifice of hanging in with somebody going through a tough time. It's the sacrifice of giving praise and honor with the fruit of our lips and honoring God with encouraging words with each other. We should be busy. This should be a minefield this morning of ministry going off everywhere we step because God's people are active. We are bringing the sacrifice of praise into the household of God. Just like in the Old Testament when the doors were open at the tabernacle for the people to come bring their animals for worship, God under the new covenant is saying now the doors are open and we can come in Jesus Christ and we can honor the Lord with our, with our sacrifices. It's so important. We come to church oftentimes and we look for one or two friends that we're comfortable with and oh, there they are and we want to sit with them. And, and sometimes, and I talk to people a lot who say, you know, neighborhood's a big place and I feel like when I kind of try to get involved, everybody's kind of in a clique and it's hard to break in. Whenever I hear that, I'm mindful of the fact that this is the nature of people. We tend to gravitate with people that are like ourselves, and we don't put a lot of intentionality into looking around, seeing where we can minister and where we can reach out. Now, I know there are a lot of us that really are keen on this, and we look for ways of doing that. We may sit with our friends. That's okay, but we're inviting people to come sit with us. We're, during the meet and greet, we're not just going through a ritual. We're looking around for somebody to encourage. When we get out into our connection center, and we're talking with people about what happened in their week or what they're looking forward to this week, there's a lot of little prayer clusters. And you have to know that as a pastor, when I see people huddled together in ones or in twos or threes or little small groups, in the Connection Center, out in the parking lot, out on the bricks, walking around this facility. That does my heart good because I know that people are getting it. That they're not waiting for the clergy to do the work of ministry, but they are ready and, and this place is a vibrant place of activity and ministry. So, what should we look for in a, a place of true worship? We should look for, watch this, the Word of God. Say it with me. We should look for the people of God, and what I mean by people of God, we should value godly leaders and active members. Thirdly, a third value is the blessing of God. Say that with me. The blessing of God. Now in verse 22 of chapter 9, Aaron lifts his hands toward the people and bless them. And this is a significant picture. It says, having sacrificed the sin offering, the burnt offering, the fellowship offering, he stepped down. And then it says, Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people again. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Look back and see that again in verse uh, 6, so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. What God is showing them is that when we carry out ministry the way he wants, there's a blessing that falls on the people. And it comes through the leadership. 
And I find it significant that Aaron raises his hands and blesses the people. We have this picture in the Old Testament, the book of Numbers. Remember when, when uh, the people were blessed? May the Lord's face shine upon you. You know, the, the blessing of God's people by the leadership uh, of God's uh, household. And that, that tells me that the ministry ought to always be a place. The ministry is not, worship is not arduous, it's not condemning, it's not shaming. The worship of God's people should be a sense of the blessing of God on the people. And that should come from leadership, there should be encouragement. I'm not saying that we can't deal with difficult things, but when we deal with difficult things, there's always a sense in which we are honoring God, we want the best for God's people, we want to serve God's people and do all that is, is uh, important to the Lord and to his people. So the blessing of God is really important. Now, under the new covenant, remember Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 shows us um, where Paul writes, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And in Jude, I just it, this verse came to my mind as I was studying this passage because Jude writes, he says, in verse 21, he says, Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. There's a sense in which God's people should be very protective of the blessing of God. And I want to tell you as a pastor at Neighborhood Church now, for many, many years, I, I thank the Lord that I see the blessing of God among his people at Neighborhood Church. And, and, and I hope you do too. I hope you sense that there is the true blessing of God. Uh, the blessing of God through plurality of workers and leaders. A godly leadership. Not a perfect leadership. A godly leadership. An active membership. Resources that are available. People that give sacrificially so that the work can be accomplished. Vision is happening. That there's a sense of movement. That God's people are, uh, are, are being encouraged and exhorted to live more like Christ. And the blessing of God is there. I've talked to pastors in churches that say, Larry, I just don't feel the blessing of God in our ministry. There's turmoil and strife and there's division. And there's people that want to take the church in a different direction. Or there's great sin that is not being addressed and people are hiding. They're ducking and covering in terms of their sin. And the blessing of God is just not really there. Always, my friends, we should covet and protect the blessing of God. This is important in the worship of God's people. And if you sense the blessing of God here in this place, then you should protect it too. And you should protect it by fighting for unity. And what I mean fighting by, in Ephesians 4.3, it says, make every effort, Paul says, uh, to, to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That effort part is important because if we don't expend effort to stay in unity with each other and with Christ, we so easily fragment, we so easily pull apart. And I see this often in ministry. I see this in my own life because I am a person of clay feet as well. I see this in members of our church. I see this at times where we get into trouble a little bit and we want to square off and we want to just kind of not protect the unity. And I always value it when there is tension and someone's very conscious about the fact about preserving unity in the church. And I love that and I appreciate that. And that's what happens in the body of Christ. So the value of God's blessing, the value of God's people, the value of God's word, those are three really critical things about 
worship and what we should expect in worship. Let me give you a fourth one if you're taking notes. The value of the presence of God. Say that with me. The presence of God. Now here in chapter 9, can I point out to you, since you have your Bibles open, look again at verse 4. For today the Lord will appear to you. Verse 6, this is what the Lord commanded you to do, so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. And then look at verse 23. It says, Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. You say, where did I see that before? You saw that when they finished the tabernacle. Remember back in Exodus chapter 40, when the tabernacle was finished, the glory of the Lord appeared. And here in chapter 9, when commensurate worship, or when the worship doors were open for the people to come now, we have sacrifices, we have a priesthood, we have a tabernacle, the glory of the Lord will appear before us. And this is something, when we talk about the glory of the Lord, synonymously all through the Old Testament, the idea of the glory of the Lord is the presence of the Lord. Write that down. It's the presence of the Lord. It's, it's Certainly the glory is an appropriate word, doxa, the Greek word, which means the manifest glory of God. In the Old Testament, it was often seen as the Shekinah glory, the brightness, the brilliance, the majesty of God, the otherness of God among his people. But notice it says that when the glory of the Lord appears, verse 24, fire came down from the presence of the Lord, there's the presence of the Lord, and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. I said earlier in this series that one of the things that you can understand when God's people know this, when they get this, and when they yearn for this, that there's a sense in their worship, watch this, of both the gravity and the gladness of being in his presence. The gravity meaning, oh my goodness, we're in the presence of the Lord. And the gladness meaning, oh my goodness, we're in the presence of the Lord. That there's both depth and serenity at the same time. There's seriousness and solace. There's joy, unabandoned, uh, a fully abandoned joy. A desire to worship and praise the living God. Kind of what we experienced in the choir anthem this morning. And we kind of started clapping our hands. And hopefully, watch this, if it's just generated by the tune or the beat or something like that, that's not what we're talking about. But when the presence of the, of the Lord lands, when fire comes down and consumes the offering, what we bring to the Lord and the fire comes, the presence of the Lord comes. You say, well, how do I know that happens in my life? I've talked to so many of you that have said, man, Pastor, I... You know, I, I see you out in the Connection Center. I come out and they, they've got tears in their eyes. They say, the Lord met me in such a powerful way this morning. Or from the downbeat of the worship time, the musical worship, I couldn't hold back the tears. If there's some of you that are sitting here this morning, you brought your burden to the Lord and you come into this place of worship and things like that have happened in your heart, might I suggest to you that what you're experiencing there is the presence of the Lord in your heart. It's a beautiful thing to see that God meets his people this way. And I'm so glad to be a part of a church where often I feel palpably the presence of the Lord. And I would love to feel and experience that even more, wouldn't you? 
And that's something that we should always be mindful of. Have we prepared adequately to come into the presence of the Lord so that his manifest presence would be felt and sensed and experienced among our people? Have we come casually without any thought of what God wants to do in our lives? Have we come without any surrender to the Lord? Have we come without bringing our own offering of sacrifice to the Lord? And I'm not talking about throwing a few bucks in the plate. I'm talking about the weighty things of our life saying, God, I don't understand, but I give you the situation today and Lord, may your fire come down and burn it up on the altar and may I experience today the reality that God you see my heart and you accept my offering and you see what I am going through in my life and your presence going with me will make all the difference in where I am those are values that are critical in the church of Jesus Christ today as well the value of the word of God the people of God what's the third one The blessing of God. The fourth one, the presence of God. And here, this last one, chapter 10, verses 1 through 20. Some of you that read this, you did your homework. You say, oh my goodness. In chapter 10, I see the value here of the discipline of God. Say that with me. The discipline of God. And we hear the terrible tragedy of worship gone wrong. Can you imagine the two oldest sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, They're performing their first work as priests and they've put fire in their censers and they offered what the NIV translation says, unauthorized fire before the Lord contrary to his command. And boy, I have read volumes of material about what this was or wasn't. And all, you know, I'm a simple guy. I just go, it was contrary to God's command. That's all. (laughs) It just wasn't the way God had prescribed it. They took the idea of worship into their own hands. This is the way God's prescribed worship, but we're going to do it our way. We're going to do it in a way that feels right to us. And God nipped that in the bud in a huge way. In immediate, in immediately, immediately, Nadab and Abihu fell to the ground and lost their life. I know that some of us read this. I read this and I go, this seems so harsh. I mean, they're not perfect. But there had to have been something in the hearts of Nadab and Abihu that said something along the lines of, you know, God's got this plan, but we've got a better plan. We can do it our way and it's going to be all right. And God wanted his people to know that you don't mess with the most important thing to the heart of God, and that is a clear channel way into the presence of God the way he desires. Watch this. The only way we come into the presence of God today is through His Son, Jesus Christ. And everything else is idolatry, methods and ideas and things that we think are so beautiful for people, whether it's whatever, preferences, anything that we stick before the revealed Word of God as given to us in Scripture becomes an idolatrous moment in our lives. Now, if that's not scary enough, or not scary, I guess, but solemn enough, in verse 3 it reads that Aaron remained silent through this. Can you imagine a father watching this take place? I can't think of a more difficult and challenging situation. And Moses actually comes to Aaron, and and he tells Aaron that there should be no sign of mourning or grief in his life. Perhaps, as it has been suggested, 
this is so that the people of God, in looking at their high priest, would not have questioned God's commands or God's holiness in what had taken place. And so, Mo, uh, so Aaron has to hold this sort of stoic temperament. While it seems exceptionally harsh to us, and it is, we have b- in the biblical record places where it was important for God to set things in motion in the right way. You remember when they were bringing the... the uh, when, when God's people were coming into the promised land finally and they made their cross over the Jordan River and remember the sin of Achan that when they took over Jericho they hid Achan and his family. He hid some of the treasury that was supposed to be given to God. Remember that? At this important juncture there was someone in the camp who decided to harbor something for themselves and, and it cost Achan his life. Uh, you remember when the people of God were bringing the Uh, the Ark of the Covenant back from the Philistines and they were bringing it up into Jerusalem and there was there was a a guy named Uzzah who decided that he could touch the Ark as it tottered going through a precarious place on the road where he knew that there was no one that should touch the Ark of God and when he did he fell to his death. A significant transition point. The people coming into the land of Canaan the ark being moved up to its rightful place in Jerusalem. You remember at the birth of the church when the people of God were bringing their gifts to meet the needs of God's people and there was a couple there named Ananias and Sapphira and they tried to bring an offering to the Lord which was fine but they lied about what the offering was. And instead of bringing the full offering of what they said it was going to bring they only brought a portion of it and as they brought it to the apostles' feet they fell dead one at a time. Wow! strategic moments where God wanted it to be a clean start. Now watch this. Things kind of unravel at certain points following this. The glory of the Lord departs from the temple. The glory of the Lord, uh, Ezekiel prophesied and saw the glory of the Lord just leak out of the temple in his days of prophecies. We see this in the picture of Scripture that we don't always get it right. There are times, but watch this. If we're sincere, we recognize that there are times where God's going to step in. God's going to exact discipline on a leader, on a church, on a group of people so that his purposes will be accomplished so that his glory will be seen. And a church that loves and apprehends and yearns for the glory of God in true worship understands the discipline of God too. And church, neighborhood church, we got to see this too. Sometimes there's hard decisions to be made. Sometimes there's decisions that need to be brought to leaders. Sometimes there's confrontation that needs to happen. Sometimes, irrespective of anything we have done, God just sends judgment in the form of discipline. Watch this, because He loves us. Hebrews tells us that we have a loving Father who disciplines those He loves. Amen? So if you feel like you're under discipline today, welcome that as a value of worship. And there's a lot more that could be said of this text, but our time is done. I hope you've seen today five values of worship among God's people. Can we just rehearse them quickly? First, the Word of God. Secondly, the people of God. Thirdly, the blessing of God. Fourthly, the presence of God. Fifthly, the discipline of God. And if those things you see in the ministry that you're a part of, praise God. You're in the right place. Let's go to the Lord right now. Lord, Thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing us to kind of make that jump from 
the historical context of Leviticus to the timeless truths that you laid out for your people. And I believe these are all things that we see in this passage. Help us to wrestle with these things and if need be, struggle with them too, Lord. And Lord, if there's somebody here today that has never stepped over that line of faith, never come to you, Father, through your Son, Jesus, the Christ. May they lay aside all their idols today and all their thoughts of doing it their own way. And may they surrender to you, Jesus Christ, with their lives, heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then experience the beautiful power of the presence of God, your presence in our lives, in their lives this morning. If that's you, my friend, right where you are, open your heart. Trust in Christ. Believe and be saved. And if you know Christ today, then cherish the elements and the values of true worship among God's people and see his holiness. Let's stand together as we worship the Lord. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear additional messages or you're interested in finding out more about Neighborhood Church, please visit our website at threecrosses.org. That's the number three, crosses.org.